This is the bit where we have some banter before the theme tune. Yep. It sure is. Um, oh, I was going to go with a whole Disney on Ice thing, wasn't I? Were you? Yeah, because uh, before we started recording, I'd suggested that we were Mickey and Goofy leaping out onto the ice. Oh, right, of course. Skate's already in motion. And that, I mean, I suppose EWS on ice would be quite fun, wouldn't it? Oh, I I would be terrible on um, on ice. Oh, I yeah. Can't, I can't ice skate to save my life. I'm actually terrified of it. Really? I'm, I'm certain if I ever enter an ice rink, I will leave with less fingers than you could count on two what? hands. Funny you should say that. When I was a kid, we had a um, mobile ice rink came to our school, and it, it isn't actually ice. It's some kind of sort of plastic tiles they put together but you can skate on it in a very similar ice skating thing and a kid fell over and another kid went over his hands see that's it just seems inevitable yeah it's it's horrific but also there is something slightly beautiful about like i <laughs> bloody ice skate trails <laughs> you know it's like something it's quite poetic it's like it's like um like the Coen Brothers-esque bit of violence, you know? I'd love to see the Coen Brothers produce Electronic Wireless Show on Ice. <laughs> and actually, you could solve the problem that we despise ice skating by just having like three like trained professional ice skaters wearing giant foam costumes of us. Oh, yeah. That like- reminds me of another childhood anecdote. I used to be in, <laughs> I, I used to be in a choir... Uh, children, Hampshire Children's Choir, and we sang the bare necessities on children in need at Basingstoke Ice Rink while uh, Pudsey, the bear, ice skated on the ice. And we were all really excited we were going to be on TV. And they did maybe two seconds of shots of the choir, and the rest of it was just of that damn bear ice skating. <laughs> well, then that's brilliant. We've got a theme tune now. <laughs> It's the electronic wireless show. They talk about video games and also lots of stuff like fish and soup. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, with that, uh, let's hear the proper theme tune. And welcome to the Electronic Wireless Show, episode 162 of the RPS podcast. Uh, my name is not Alice Bell, it is Matthew Castle. Uh, and there's something at this point where we say, in my opinion, this is like the only podcast you need. Yes, that's exactly what you say. You did yeah. It. I don't think, because the thing is, in my opinion, I think gives us a bit of an out. I think we should be more like, this is the only podcast you need. Well, it's always Alice's opinion. Yeah. See, it's not my, I, I, I know it to be the best. Well, then you can say, in my certain knowledge, this is the only <laughs> podcast that exists. <laughs> this is the only podcast that exists. Welcome uh, to the last homely podcast. <laughs> um, but yes, as we have no Alice Bell, I have to uh, assume the character of Matthew Castle myself. Um, but I am joined by someone slightly more colourful. I'm joined by Paul June. I've had a horrible dream. Oh, yeah? <laughs> about wrestler Dave Batista. <laughs> He's got a spacesuit and a gun. <laughs> wow, it's like I'm in the cinema. I think I'm going to start a holy war. <laughs> <laughs> Worryingly, that kind of is the plot of June. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. Just uh, man gets very anxious and starts uh, starts a, a massive war. <laughs> yeah, uh, you got June on the brain then this week, Paul. Yes, well, I mean, it is my surname. My <laughs> yes. father, Leto June, uh, has inherited a lovely sand planet. There's all sorts of worrying worms on it, and yeah, I can't stop thinking about it. Wow. Um, uh, also, I, Nate Crowley, did go to see June last week, and uh, my goodness, what a treat! Oh, did it did it rattle your bones with its deep soundtrack? Yeah, I, I done went in the IMAX, didn't I? Oh my word! And those when like this sounds like bollocks I would make up, but when the ten thousand sets of bagpipes all go <laughs> off at once with like the Space Knights theme tune. <laughs> It, I just wanted to pull my heart out. Joy, it was so good. <laughs> good old June. Um, I t- tell you what, if you like like shots of people in outlandish costumes slowly walking down ramps beneath Milton Keynes sized spaceships, <laughs> that is the movie, isn't it? Yeah, it'll definitely win that category at the Oscars. And the uh, the winner of needlessly baroque disembarkation scene (laughs) what's your favorite disembarkation in june uh i mean the bagpipes one is hard to beat um i quite like when the weird bloke turns up at the start from the emperor and everyone has to sort of make nice that's quite grand oh yeah yeah and the the joke happens there's a joke yeah there's a joke in june there's the uh, joke about the muscles. Oh, well, yeah. Well, that's more just Jason Momoa bullying Timothy Chalamet for being <laughs> 120th of his mass. Uh, what's the joke in June? I've already forgotten it. So Oscar, beautiful, beautiful Oscar Isaac turns to um, Thanos and <laughs> says, smile. And he says, Nang. oh, that's the joke, of course. It's funny because Thanos' character is called Gurney Halleck, <laughs> and he does gurn a lot. <laughs> is this a name actually Gurney, or is it, is it a descriptor? He's genuinely called Gurney. Oh, right, I, I okay. mean, unless, you know, that is just his nickname in the Space <laughs> Army. He's actually Dave Halleck. Um, <laughs> have you read the book, Dune? Yeah, I have, uh, a couple of times. Um, Did the... F- and- I was going to ask, did the film deliver on your, on like as a reader of the books? I haven't read the book, so I'm just sort of absorbing it as a outsider. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not like the biggest Dune ultra fan. I do, I do really like it, and in my opinion, the film was as near to a perfect adaptation as you could reasonably expect. But I think what that made me realise is how much about Dune as a story actually leaves me cold. Right. The fact that I love it is testament to how good the the bits I do like about it are. You know, because it is... uh, It's classic science fiction. It's about ideas rather than characters, Mm. I think. And pretty much everyone in it is just... Has in some way driven themselves beyond one particular limit of human capacity and it has made them completely miserable. Mm, mm. Like you got thinking man and leading man and fighting man. Yeah. And worm man. I like the uh I like the suits where you drink your own piss. Oh yes, yeah. No that that I remember them being my lasting Impression from watching the 1980s June as a kid, because uh, I used used to take a lot of holidays uh, at the beach. Um, so, you know, there's quite a lot of sand in my life. Oh, <laughs> imagine. It was a really hot day. I thought, oh, imagine just having to drink your own wee. Yeah. David Lynch's June played a big part in your childhood then. Well, yeah, that's when I started drinking a lot of piss. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You just know that that's probably the bit that he that he kind of connected with because he's kind of weird and kooky. Yeah, yeah, he was probably this is the project for me. <laughs> he's like, I'm not feeling it till we get to all these the, all the piss drinking. I, um, I 
tell you what, to slam slam this podcast into gear, though. Oh yeah, it wasn't. Uh, the books were not my first uh, encounter with Dune, nor was the nineteen eighties film. What could it have been? Could it have been the video game adaptation of a literary work? Wait, that's correct, Matthew. My God, and that might be the theme of this podcast. Let's have a sting. Sting, of course, played <laughs> Gurney Halleck in 1980s June. Did he? Uh, yeah, yeah, with his famous trousers. Oh, I can't remember him being in it. I just couldn't remember who he played. I think he was Gurney Halleck because there's the two fight men, isn't there? There's, there's, there's Thanos and Aquaman. Yeah. And Aquaman, he's called something ludicrous, isn't he? Like Gordon, Ohio. Duncan, Idaho. <laughs> uh, that's, his, that's his brother, Gordon, Ohio. And his sister, Hannah Montana. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Sting plays one of the two sword-fighting men. Ah. Uh, oh, but, there they go. Yeah, no, it's Dune 2, uh, which was one of the games that was in the computer lab at my school. Um, right. And there was always a massive queue to play it at lunchtime. And because it it took so long to boot up that basically you could get 10 minutes of Dune 2 in if you were lucky <laughs> during lunch. Was, was there a huge queue because of the innate qualities of Dune 2 or because it was a video game at school? Uh, that will be the latter. Yeah, okay. Uh, although, to be fair, it, you know, it, it was good. Dune 2 set the... The template for pretty much all the real-time strategy games that came after, like the original Command and Conquer, was pretty much a reskin of Dune Two. Right. I haven't uh, played Dune Two, so you have to. But I can picture it from 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 that. Well, imagine Command and Conquer, but the frightening blood men from Rain World are in it. Right. That's a good scene, isn't it? When they're all. There's that big, like, frightening chanting, and there's all the blood people lying around bleeding, and all oh, those yeah. soldiers getting rained on, just getting ready to have a big stab. Well, that's that's quite intense because they're all getting their face paint, but the face paint is like the blood of some other guys. Um, I didn't really say who those other guys were. I guess the weaker soldiers, slaves. I don't and know. Not even like they're getting psyched up to go into battle. They're just chilling out in a huge car park. Yeah, frightening men. But yeah, it must, the, the, the... when you see those people gathering, if you are one of the sacri- <laughs> sacrifices to be, you must be thinking, "Oh God, this is my life. I'm about to become face paint." <laughs> They're all forming their big formations in the car park of Morrison's. I don't like that. There's the shouting man. <laughs> um, does it, the most important question for June two is: Does it have sandworms and? Do you control them? Uh, no, they're, they're like naughty men. Oh, okay. Oh, no, actually, because the Fremen are in it, but I never got to the point of controlling, so I don't know if you can do oh, something. Is it a bit of a sort of a GDI nod deal? Can you then do a Fremen campaign? Yeah, I think you're like either Atreides or Harkonnen. Oh, okay. And I think the Atreides can bring in like the Fremen as special units and the Harkonnen can bring in the Sadakar. Ah. I, think, I think it's like that. I'd say the two things I liked best about it was, one, because everything is sand, uh, before you can build a building, you have to put down concrete tiles on the sand. Oh, okay. And I I suppose that just speaks to what an absolute abyss of personality I was as a child, (laughs) but I just thought that was great. Um, (laughs) I've just got this picture of these, like, you know, a kid laying down a load of tiles on a computer and then looking to his mates and them all giving him a nod of approval. Like, that yeah. was great. That yeah, was so cool what you just did. That's displaced the weight of the foundation so they won't <laughs> subside. This is cracking. <laughs> um, but the, the real... The, and this is a little interesting bit of, of, of thinky thoughts you can do if you're so inclined. Um, so you know how I said it was the template for Command and Conquer? Mm. Um, well, if you've played Command and Conquer, Red Alert, Tiberium Sun, any of those family of games, uh, and indeed, if you've played StarCraft, you'll know a huge amount of the game involves 
harvesters going out into fields of twinkly crystals mm. and milling around there and then going back to deposit it and that's your money. Right. So that was all lifted from Dune 2 because, of course, it had the spice harvesters. <laughs> and so I think it's really funny that, in a way, Command & Conquer Red Alert 2, Yuri's Revenge, is an adaptation of Frank Herbert's sci-fi <laughs> classic Dune. <laughs> Oh, I've never really thought of it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure it's legal to, but I'm going to suggest it. So yeah, yeah, spice harvesters. It's really weird how just spice harvesters became a huge element of RTS core mechanics just because they happened to be present in June. I think that's quite lovely. That's a strange legacy that story has had. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> so yeah. So so yeah, we're talking about video games that are adapted from literary works mm. and you've kicked us off with a good one i'm gonna chuck in uh the Discworld games oh man good shout did you did you play these point and click adventures yeah because you know I'm, I'm not massively into point and click but i bloody love Discworld, so it was it was a nice middle ground for me yeah yeah i've, I've now i've not played these since Probably I was like 14, 15, um, and super into Discworld. But my memory of them is that they were like a nice extension of that world. And it wasn't just like sort of fan service in terms of like, here's all the characters you love. Here's a bit of Rincewind. Here's the that librarian that's a monkey. You know, all this kind of stuff. It had uh, like the actual stories themselves kind of felt kind of in keeping with with the books, um, the first game was about a sort of sort of shadowy cult summoning a dragon, and there was a time travel element to it. And the second one, I think, the second game which I preferred was about like death getting. I think he got like blown up by a bomb, and then had like a sort of midlife crisis about not wanting to be death anymore, and you had to basically sort of uh, make a film about him to try and sort of convince him to, you know remind him of how good he was as death or something along those lines. And that that felt like that could have been a, a Discord novel. You know. Did did it borrow bits from moving pictures? Because it's been a long time since yeah, I read there's that. A, yeah, there's definitely a bit of that in there. Um, also, soul music, I think, because that's got death going AWOL. Yeah, because they were like they weren't straight adaptations, but they borrowed elements, and then yeah, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure Terry Pratchett had to be involved with writing them because he very did like computers. Yeah, he did. I, 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 I had never played it, and I didn't know it existed until this morning. Apparently, there's a interactive uh, fiction game of Color of Magic. Oh wow. Were done contemporary to the book, or many years later, sort of. Thing. No, that's it. Yeah, done done in the eighties at some point. Do you remember the uh, the Douglas Adams game, Starship Titanic? I I kind of hated that game. <laughs> well, it was dreadful because <laughs> you had to ty- you had to sort of yeah type in all your questions for these robots, and it was just constantly basically battling, not knowing the kind of syntax of that world, and never getting anywhere because of it. Yeah, it's the kind of game I would classify as a heroic failure, I think. <laughs> because, you know, the, the idea was really sound, but, uh, yeah, the implementation was virtually unplayable. That's, that's uh, not actually based on one of his books, though, is it? No, no, it was an original thing that he wrote, and he wrote a lot for it. Like, right. He really absolutely went in 100% on that project, which is another reason it's quite sad, because... You know, obviously, he passed away not that long after. And you just think, oh, maybe we could have had another book rather than a busted point-and-click <laughs> game <laughs> that, you know, presumably really stressed him out. So Yeah. Um, just going back to Discord quickly. Yeah. Um, what did you think about the casting of Eric Idle as Rincewind? I'm going to say pretty good. He's the one... Is he pretty much the only untarnished Python remaining? Uh, 
Isn't he like the rich python? Isn't he the one who like made all the money from all the songs and everything? It's he's not sport, I, sporty python, not scary python. <laughs> he's rich but He's I think he's like he's behind like spam a lot and all that kind of the musical and all that jazz. Um, he's the American fellow, isn't he? That's Terry Gilliam. Is Terry Gilliam American? Terry Gilliam's American, yeah. I don't actually know much about these managers. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're all Brits. Terry Gilliam's an American, yeah, animator who joined them. Eric Idle, Eric Idle is, quite, is quite like, you know, I think of him as the American Python now because he like lives over in LA. He's very like LA and, but he, he, I don't think he's done anything terrible. I don't think he's like an evil man. <laughs> I think it's just John Cleese is the ultimate bellend, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> He's, the, ba- he's the bad python. I think the bad python changes at different times. Uh, but... <laughs> There's a haunted signet ring that they pass <laughs> yeah. between them. It just makes the bearer a wanker. Yeah, I would. I don't think. I think if you gave it to um, Michael Palin, though, you'd be fine. Well, because he'd he'd be able to go and lose it in a volcano. He's so pure, he would destroy it the second it touched his finger. Um, but yeah, I liked. I liked Eric Idle. Apparently, they did approach. John, they wanted John Cleese for Rincewind originally in the games, but he didn't want to do it because he said he wouldn't do games, so they went to Idol. But actually, I think it fits, you know? Of course he wouldn't do games. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would work, actually. Like, no, that character. No an angry Rincewind. Yeah. Like, there's other people he probably could, you know, voice, like, I don't know, the patrician or something. But um, Or, a, you know, a lawnmower. <laughs> Well, he's got one gear, just apoplexy. Yeah, which isn't re- which isn't really Rincewind. <laughs> well, no, I mean none of Terry Pratchett's characters were just rapid barking nightmare men. <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing; he did quite sensitive and thoughtful folks. Yeah, there but, was. Uh, Idol was good. Idol was really yeah, good. it's it's funny because I played this game so much when I was a kid, and I got really stuck on it. That my whole family, you know, even though not massively into games, like they all know the the, the sound of Eric Idle saying that doesn't work, which is what he'd <laughs> say when you tried combining two objects that didn't work together. Like to this day, they'll someone will occasionally say that doesn't work in an Eric Idle voice, and it always amuses me that like twenty years on, we've got these like incredibly deep cut Discord point and click references <laughs> happening. You know, my mum is saying it. You know, that's like that's that's quite odd. <laughs> that would be like sort of in in twenty years. You know, families just having you know the dad just muttering "monster kill." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah like, so. Actually, wow, that wasn't actually that much less far ago in the time. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's let's not notice the passage of time. We'll get sad. Yeah. That's, and that's not what this podcast is about. Um, the Witcher, of course. Oh yeah. Have you read those books? Um, no, I've 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 got one of them, and I keep meaning to start it. The the first one, I get I get, I get panicked about the Witcher because isn't the true order them in, in like incredibly complicated? <laughs> I'm sure there's a Reddit post that sorts it out, but I I I'm telling myself that's why I haven't read them because I oh, haven't looked yeah. up where to start. But that's um. You know, nonsense. It's. I keep thinking about maybe wanting to read them, but if I can't even get my way through it, when I am the man stabbing the griffins. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and that's not so it's boring or anything. Uh, it's just, you know, I'm having a hard, harder time reading than I used to. And I think, you know, if I'm not capable of satiating my attention span with a game, I might be onto a loser if I try uh, the book it was based on and not in the language it was originally written in. Yeah. It's one of these ones where you look up, people are constantly slamming the English translation of it, saying like, oh, it's much more sophisticated or our translation is notably worse than than others. Um, not that that, you know, would bother me. You know, I wouldn't know it to read it. Um I think the problem I have with The Witcher is like the games have given me such a, you know, they are kind of their own thing and they've got such a sort of distinctive voice, kind of, I would worry it would compete too much with having to read the books. It's the same with the show. There's almost like three, like quite clear different witches in existence and it's quite hard to juggle that many versions of one character. 
Yeah, and that's that's a that's interesting, isn't it? When you're having whole fresh takes on an IP, it sort of starts to go beyond the idea of an adaptation. It's like, you know, the different Spidermans. Um, they're all essentially about a very agile man who's had an accident with an invertebrate. <laughs> but they've all got completely different tones and and stories and yeah, I I I get the feeling it might be a, a bit more like that. Mm. Um, hard to say because I've not read the book. Yeah, I think the thing that games do that I th- I think the books do also is they're quite happy being just a set of of like tales. You know, it's it's not j- just one big coherent arc. You know, the games kind of dip into different bits of Geralt's life. And I think the books do the similar, at least, you know, because they're, they're short story collections to begin with. Um, so the kind of sort of snapshotty element of it suits an RPG quite well. Like, it's something I like about the games is that you kind of, each adventure you sort of join sort of mid-flow and yeah. you just have to kind of pick up the pace. It's not kind of previously on The Witcher, you just sort of go with it. It's one of the reasons why The Witcher three success sort of, not not baffles me, but like I think it asks quite a lot of you from the outset because it just like dumps you in this world with all this stuff happening, and you just have to kind of deal with it. And it's it's quite um, it's quite challenging for for something that is so popular. Well, it genuinely is like when you're at a hotel or something, and they've got like a shelf of random books, and there's the second part of a fantasy epic. You've got right. nothing else to read, so you go for it, isn't it? That's very much the feeling. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit more disciplined. I'll always start at the beginning. I'm too much of a square. I'm not free and easy like you. Oh, no, I get quite stressed. Don't worry. Okay, good. <laughs> it's just, um, you know, needs must when Nicolas Cage is driving. <laughs> what? There was that film, Drive Angry, wasn't there? Oh, right, yes. And I think I think he was the devil in it, or he was just being Nicolas Cage, which is, you know, next best thing. He gurns a lot. He could have been Gurney Malik, whoever his name is. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Smile, Gurney. I am smiling, says Nicolas Cage, leaping off a stepladder into a fire. With his eyebrows so arched that they're shooting into the sky. (laughs) And Denny Villeneuve is like, well, well, I guess it will do. (laughs) Uh, If you cast Cage, you get Cage. Um, I was going to ask whether you thought... um, Things based on Dungeons and Dragons or the rule books of Warhammer or Warhammer 40k could count as literary adaptation because there's so Ooh. much like law and written law, and it is you know it's creative writing. See, with D stuff, yes, I would say like Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate 2 are really good examples. Of an adaptation, I would give you that. Um, 40k is a, a, a trickier one because uh, I don't, don't know if you knew, but it does actually have a fantastic range of tie-in fiction um, <laughs> of, of its own. And the actual, the books themselves don't tend to be the basis of video games. Um, right. Like something you've got stuff like, oh, I don't know, like um, War for Armageddon, which... That's a hex-based tactics game by... Oh, there's a Slytherin one. Um, ugly as sin, but quite fun. That is covered by a lot of material in the books, but only because it's an event in the game's lore. So you can... I mean... That's, yeah, I, you, I guess that was the question. Like, I, I, don't know, I don't know the games well enough, as in the real-life games well enough, to know if, you know... I see those giant rule books and I think, is that all rules or is there a lot of scene setting in there as well? And, you know, a la D&D or is it more like they just sort of establish the rules and all the law come, kind of comes after the fact from sort of whoever is employed to write it? <laughs> At their best, Games Workshop uh, rule books are like, 
you know, shin thick tomes, which are about 75% like ornate and rambling descriptions of like the emperor's knee, um, (laughs) you know, with, with the rules interspersed throughout it. Uh, In latter years, there has been a tendency to slim down the rules bit so, you know, it is actually practical to refer to while playing a game. Right. That I personally, because I'm way more interested in, like, the setting and the miniatures and things than the actual tabletop game, Mm. I, you know, I like to dilute the vegetables of the rules with a vast amount of narrative gravy. And I think they're best when they do that. And you, you know, like the old source books, all the John Blanche artwork, you would recognize this stuff if you saw it. He's the man who draws everything. Like someone has trained a team of incredibly anxious spiders to run (laughs) through ink and then depict something. Right. Incredible style. Like literally no one else can do it. Um, (laughs) I can see yeah, it. I suppose really, really, with any Games Workshop game, it is that is an adaptation of a setting, I think. Okay, okay. I just didn't know if, like, when people were playing, you know, Total War, Warhammer, if they're kind of like, oh, shit, it's this battle from history that I love. Um, oh, there is some of that. There is some of that. But it's all... There's so many things now, like... Yeah, like the Battle of Armageddon in 40K was introduced way 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 back and it's been retold slightly in every edition of the game so you couldn't even say there is a definitive account right right it's it just sort of become nerd folklore um okay which is nice well that probably also rains on my um i was gonna i was gonna ask about the incal adaptations of steve jackson's sorcery but that's Ooh. that's probably also more of an adaptation of a different kind of game rather than a book. Yeah, and actually I will go back and I'll smack myself on the hand and disallow Baldur's Gate as well because it's, you know, the... Well, what is the... um, Is that the Forgotten Realm setting? Or is that... Yeah, I mean, yes, that did have a source book. But I think, you know, this is a weak egg to cook. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Here's, here's, okay, here's a counterpoint for you. This is a real chin stroker. Could you call Bioshock an adaptation of Atlas Shrugged by oh. Ayn Rand? I mean... Because it is one big roast of it. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, it's definitely in, like, a dialogue with it, but I, would, I wouldn't say... Like, in my head, if I was saying this was an adaptation of... In theory, I would play the game, and then someone said, "This is an adaptation of Atlas Shrugged." I, if I then went and read Atlas Shrugged, I'd be like, "What the hell? This is nothing like Bioshock." In terms I wish of, wish this had more mutants with drills for arms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's got a. Um, I have actually read Atlas Shrugged in its it, infinite length. Did um, you make it all the way through? Yeah, I made it all the way through. Um, Were you all right? Yeah, I was fine. Oh, good, good for you. Bloody hell. Yeah, yeah. I've read The Fountainhead as well. Oh, so, my goodness. Yeah, I know. I just, uh, I think it was actually a bit, it was post-Bioshock. I was just curious to see what the faff was all about. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're mad nonsense. But, yeah, and Atlas Shrugged does have the kind of sort of removed society hidden inside a mountain or hidden inside a valley somewhere, which is which is quite literally like Bioshocky. Um, though it's more of a paradise, obviously it doesn't. You know, people aren't chopping off their noses and attaching hooks <laughs> to their hands. You know, because uh, it's not really its vibe. Uh, I I don't know. I I think on a li- on a li- just taking it very literally. I I don't think it is. Um, well, it's like I saw an article um, while I was thinking about this, trying to claim the Binding of Isaac as an adaptation of the Bible. And, right, no. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> off. <laughs> it's like, you don't shoot flies with turds in the Bible. <laughs> I wish they did. Well, hang on, of course, though. <clears throat> there have been loads of extraordinarily bad... Um, <laughs> Adaptations of the Bible, like you know, where, where 
people have the bright idea to like cash in on the vast number of like extremely evangelical households in the States where video games have not been allowed because they're tools of Satan, but the family will buy a game based on the Bible, but will have no idea what benchmark of quality to expect from a game. (laughs) Yeah. Do you remember Bible Adventures? Yeah. That's the one which has Noah collecting animals to like chuck them on the ark. That's right, yeah. But it's basically just like a reskin of Super Mario Brothers 2. So instead of like Mario wrenching up turnips and Holt carrying a turnip above his head, it's Noah picking up a goat. But basically, yeah. All I know are Bible adventures. Um, there was a great episode of the podcast, uh, How Did This Get Played? Um, which was about that. And it's, it's a good listen. Um, harrowing Ooh. game by the sound of it. <laughs> Uh, there was a um, there was a, a demo disc that came with PC Gamer once, which had like a huge collection of Bible games. It was like a Bible games freeware special, um, and it had this game where it was like F Zero. You were like zooming along this like incredible rainbow road through space, and every once in a while the the track would split in half and. If you shifted on either half of the track, it would say uh, that one half of the track would be like one of the real commandments and one of the other half would be a fake commandment. And if you stayed on the track with the fake commandment, you fell into the abyss. So the only way to kind of complete the race was to know your commandments. They've basically done Cavern of Lies as a racing game. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. Well, it wasn't amazing. It was terrible because there was this like boy's voice reading them out, and it was very nervous-sounding, and you could almost picture his very angry religious father (laughs) standing just off the side of him, recording it in, like, their garage in, like, (laughs) freaking Salt Lake City or something. You know, it was just very... uh, something just incredibly off about it. (laughs) How obvious were the fake commandments? Was it stuff like, thou shalt punch every dog thou seest? (laughs) No, it was things like stay up past your bedtime and things like that. It was, it was like it was clearly aimed at children, um, but not that children need to be told not to like covet their neighbor's wife or whatever. But like you know, they should have been they should have been really hard because as it was, a cunning Satanist could have snuck through the pearly gates on that one just by <laughs> process of logical deduction. <laughs> like, my adversary would have had no interest in me going to bed on time or not. <laughs> this is one of the false commandments. I shall take the other road. <laughs> That's Satan playing that game. Thank you for thank you for giving giving that the framing and the context it needed. Did you like my devil voice? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was quite, quite eerie. Mm. My devil voice is a bit more just croaky and obviously scary, where I think the real devil is a lot more like yours, kind of sly and suggestive. Yeah, my my devil voice is more like that. Oh, that's well good. Well, that's that's obviously the devil. Devil sad, devil may cry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I can't ever resist that. Uh, Metro 2033. Yes. Smashing book, smashing game. Quite different. Right. I, you see, I, I was going to bring this up, but I haven't read any of the books, so... Oh, so I... Metro 2033, I legitimately love. Um, it is such a quintessentially Russian bit of sci-fi. Right. Uh, and the imagination in it is just towering. I think and the atmosphere as well. Like, I've rarely read a book with such an abiding sense of gloom to it. <laughs> but it's thrilling as well. Um, but then I read the... Because um, it took ages for the sequel to get translated into English. Mm. I, it, was, it was a load of horse breath. I really... Uh. You know... I mean... Yeah, I'm not going to be so arrogant to say, like, it, you know, it was just a crap story, but... It was like it focused on all of the elements of the series that I wasn't particularly interested and just didn't hit any of the atmospheric notes the first one had. Right. But Metro Exodus, by contrast, 
uh, is a great follow-up to 2033. So I'd say the games are more faithful in continuing the spirits. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's good isn't, stuff. It's, isn't there something odd with the... Aren't people like allowed to just write books in the Metro universe? I I know what you're talking about. Yeah, there's there's like I an, don't there's know the details, but there's yes. like a huge like expanded universe which sort of bridges sort of fan fiction and sort of legitimate sequels. Um, but like I say, I don't I don't know enough about it. Is is the game like the books? Like, is it is, yeah. it, is it an obvious adaptation? Of Metro twenty thirty three, the original, definitely. Um, right. And yeah, Exodus takes like a lot of a lot of things from the Metro universe. Because mm. um, yeah, I, it must have been a rights issue because I think it was one of these things where um, Dimitri, what's his name, who wrote it, just like wrote it for a lull and put it on the internet and then it was incredibly successful. And then the whole publishing deal happened. But I think at that point, the IP cat had mutated into some sort of eyeless panther. Um, Mm. And there were loads of stories about it. Yeah, I have no idea what the legal position is, but you're right. There are millions of Metro stories that are like technically legal official, but they're not written by the guy. You're right. Okay. Okay. Uh, Hmm. Yeah, I should read those because I do like that. I do like the games. I like that world. Um, and in fact, they're... that's what I'll do as my recommendation this week. Oh, remind very me cunning. when we get to that in a few minutes. Getting ahead of it. Um, I was also going to do a very little shout out for this year's uh, Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, which is the Victorian London set Ace Attorney prequel, but is sort of sort of an adaptation of Sherlock Holmes. Um, in that you part it is the it is the London of the Sherlock Holmes novels, and you partner up with Sherlock Holmes due to a copyright thing. Uh, they call him Herlock Holmes. Um, <laughs> in, in the Japanese version, he is still Sherlock Holmes, um, but it's it's not a like it's not an adaptation of like any particular one story. It's sort of set in the universe where Sherlock Holmes has had all those adventures, and there's lots of like weird echoes and sort of sort of callbacks and sort of throwbacks to various stories. Um and I'm not like a huge, huge Sherlock Holmes guy. You know, I've read I've read a few of a few of the biggies. Um but I did like this this world that was so clearly set, so clearly created and written by someone who was a huge fan, Shutakumi the creative um Ace Attorney's like a mega like Holmes nut. And that game is just such a such like a love letter to that world. I, I really like the kind of interplay with it. Um, that was oh, really that, nicely done. That's interesting because that's, I mean, does sort of lead us back onto the logical ground where we could say that Binding of Isaac is a Bible adaptation <laughs> because it's got the devil in it. It's got the devil. Yeah, I mean, this is this is more. This has got so many characters and situations. Um, the, the, the I mean, you can't really talk about Grace Ace, Grace Ace Attorney fully without spoiling it. But some of the interesting kind of interplay is the idea that, like the Sherlock Holmes adventures as they're written and what happened are kind of different, and you are interacting with the real Sherlock Holmes who has in this universe been like evangelized by Watson through his writing. Hmm. So it's kind of. You know, one of the cat your sidekick in the game is a huge Sherlock Holmes fan because she's read the books that exist in this world. And you know, a lot of the games about sort of shattering the illusions of of like working with the real Holmes and how he differs, um, which I really liked. Uh, yeah, so it's almost like they're doing a sort of a an unauthorized sequel to all of the Sherlock Holmes canon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of. But but I think there's like a tradition of it. Like lots of people have played in with Holmes and in the Holmes in universe. Like there's there's a big literary tradition of people writing like parodies and things. Do you know John Lennon wrote a um, Sherlock Holmes parody? Really? Yeah. Was that I Am the Walrus? (laughs) No, no, it's not. Did you do a very good job? (laughs) 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 Yeah, he blew it. (laughs) 
no, yeah, but apparently wrote a yeah a, a, a Sherlock Holmes short story, uh, got published somewhere. Uh, so I think it was John. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yes, greatest a uh, uh, surprise more. literary adaptation. I'm going to allow that. Thank yeah. you. That's very very generous of you. <laughs> It's not like we've made a, a binding decision on any of the others. But that that one's going in. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, any more for any more? Well, yeah, yeah. One that just just came to mind actually. Um, so I, this has been interesting actually because we've just sort of taken loads of case studies of different ways a game can nearly be an adaptation <laughs> of a book. Right. Um, I'm going to now go for Spec Ops: The Line. Um, <laughs> okay. Because that is, it very deliberately was written to be Heart of Darkness by Conrad, but like with with Phosphorus and Dubai. <laughs> right. um, so it's an adaptation in the same way Apocalypse Now is an adaptation. In exactly the same way, yeah. 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 Um, have you played Spec Ops, the line? I have played it, yeah. yeah. That is horrendous, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just funny because I maybe this is the point of it. I remember covering it at preview stage, and the language that you wrote about it with was very much the kind of like, yeah, third person shooters rule. You know, <laughs> oh, there's all these cool mechanics that you can shoot the glass and all the flood will sand in and kill people, and then Graphics. you play, <laughs> yeah, and then you play the final thing, and it's just like the shame lady from Game of Thrones following you through the whole time. <laughs> I, th- I mean, that was, I thought that was an incredible bait and switch. Yeah. Like, to take something with all of the sort of visual language of, as you say, like a big gunishment thrill ride and then just turn it into a harrowing, uh, <laughs> harrowing tale of madness and, and atrocity. I wonder, like, I'm, I'd be curious to know how effective it was you know, because they did market it, I think, as a kind of Gears of War alike. And I wonder if there were lots of people who just like oorahed their way through it and went, oh, that was cool, and <laughs> then put it down. Or if well, it, more uh, people turned to camera saying, more like Tears of War. <laughs> <laughs> That's the achievement you unlock at the end. <laughs> it's, yeah, because it's a funny one, because you only see. It's sort of regarded as, I guess, a cult classic now, um, but very much as like, wow, here was a horror game we didn't expect to be a horror game. Mm. But I can't imagine it was vastly successful as, you know, a straight-up gunning game Mm. because it's not like it spawned a franchise. No, no. No, but I... well. I think that is a, I think that is a, a good a good adaptation. Yeah, powerful. That works. Um, I was trying to think if there's any more for any more book. I was looking at a big list of books that had been adapted, and like, there's lots of things which are book adaptations by way of a film adaptation. Yeah. So there's like Lego Lord of the Rings and Lego The Hobbit or whatever, but they're not they're not really. I wouldn't say they are adaptations of the books. And did you read that the thing that apparently the original Assassin's Creed is sort of based on on an old book? Is it? Yeah, um, a Slovenian novel called Alamut from nineteen thirty eight. Oh, maybe I have heard that. That name rings a bell. Um, I mean, literally, I'm just reading this from a listicle. Uh, <laughs> I am not displaying any like professional expertise here. Uh, <laughs> One of the main lines at the heart of the Slovenian novel, Alamut, is nothing is an absolute reality, all is permitted. Uh, Players of the Assassin's Creed series might recognise that as being nearly identical to a line that pops out throughout the franchise. Nothing's true, everything's permitted. There's also a line in Alamut where it says, hold R2 to parkour across rooftops. (laughs) (laughs) Which at the time everyone was like, what? What does that mean? And the feather collecting scene. Oh my yeah. god, the feather collecting. The microtransactions. Yeah, I, I think that might have been a big old reach from whatever <laughs> site I just closed the website. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. There was a Sopranos video game for the PlayStation. Do you remember the advert for that? <laughs> no. 
it was amazing. It was the cast of The Sopranos um, describing it in these like rapturous terms, but none of them had played it or really understood what it was. <laughs> Uh, and then the game itself was nothing like what they were talking about. <laughs> it's only just look up the, the Sopranos game trailer. It's funny as eggs. <laughs> really like that. I just do not think I would ever take a video game recommendation from the guy who plays Paulie Walnuts. <laughs> like that is not a guy you look at and go, yeah, he's my go-to. It'll let forces into your home. All kinds of forces. Any? <laughs> <laughs> uh, can can you think of any other real classics? Yeah, I mean, I'm sh- I'm sure we're missing out on like I, you know, you you mentioned Douglas Adams earlier. I know there's a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I want to say text adventure, point and click adventure, a tiny bit before my time, and I haven't played it. Um, but Douglas Adams is definitely responsible for like a lot of the humor in video games, I would say (laughs) like that kind of very like nerdy sort of Adamsian sort of uh, tone, maybe more in the nineties than it is now, but growing up, there was a lot of that about. Yeah, I think there's a huge slice of his influence in the point-and-click genre. Yeah, like, I don't think you get, like, Simon the Sorcerer and things like that without Douglas Adams doing his stuff, so... Oh, rip in peace. Yeah, certainly. Um, I, actually, I talked about, we mentioned Pratchett earlier. I remember reading um, quite a funny interview with him years ago where he was talking about Tomb Raider. Um, I think this is when the original Tomb Raider came out and saying that he, it really bothered him that she broke into all these ancient tombs and found all these health packs and modern day medicines. And he wanted to make a game about a bloke who has to sort of infiltrate these temples and lay a breadcrumb trail of like modern day treats (laughs) for for like a later adventurer to discover that always kind of stuck with me. It's like, Oh, that would be quite fun. You know, that, that, you know, the idea of like a, can you, you know, you don't want to ruin the temple for the next adventurer, but like, laying the path for them oh, that could be good and the thing was when he said stuff like that he was completely sincere as well yeah and he would have like designed a... it's i mean god we were we were robbed of an awful lot when when we lost him and i think genuinely i would have been fascinated like, especially looking at the work his daughter's doing which is great like you know and the interest the guy had in games like just what he might be doing with interactive stuff. Mm. It's, um, you know, that's, yeah, obviously, apart from everything else, that's that's just a huge, yeah, really, really huge sad thing. Mm. Well, that's a, a kind of a bummer of a note. <laughs> to end yeah, this that's a, and on that bombshell, um, we don't have a cavern, do we? We don't have a cavern, but that's okay. Well, no, let's see if you can tell. Uh, I've got an idea. This will be a two-minute cavern. Okay, a micro-cavern. Should we do the sting? Let's sting. The cavern lies. Hello. It's me, the devil. Oh, it's the devil. Ah, I'm going to make ten commandments. (laughs) Tell me which ones are the real commandments. (laughs) Oh my god. What happens if I get them wrong? Uh, Wario will beat you in the race. <laughs> oh my god. What a nightmare. One, thou shalt not kill. That's a good, that's a real one. Uh, thou shalt not give away thy last Malteser. <laughs> oh, that sounds false, devil. <laughs> thou shalt not commit adultery. Oh, that's a real one. Tarnation, you've done it again. <laughs> yeah. Why would I say tarnation? I literally do the damnation. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is a very well thought out character. Thou shalt only eat hay. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on, devil. That's not real. Uh, it's one of the horse commandments. Oh. Uh, I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have any gods before me. Oh, that's a real one. 
Ah, I tricked you, for I am the devil. Oh, what? You, you were quoting... F- yeah, uh, sorry, devil, you can't cheat like this. You were quoting from it. Ah. Right, so, right, I'm putting him back in his trapdoor. He won't abide by the rules of the game. <laughs> was that the end of the cavern? <laughs> yeah, he was an embarrassment. I'm really <laughs> sorry I let him on the show. <laughs> what, a, what a chaotic micro-cavern. What a cheap trick, you know. <laughs> The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was certainly not uh, trying to catch you out on, uh, on, on, you know, using the first person. <laughs> right, let's get out of here. Let's get the hell out of here and let's go to recommendations land. Where, spoiler alert, I think I know your recommendation. Yes. Uh, do we, are we going to do a little sting? Oh, yeah. Do we also say listen to the other podcast? <laughs> Oh, no, we're like, uh... <laughs> this is like waiting for Godot now, isn't it? Just three <laughs> men in a wasteland. What? What happens now? What happens now? An advert? What? An advert? Yes. <laughs> the ultimate audio bang. Yes. An owl? No, the audio bang. <laughs> yes, that's an advert. Done. <laughs> Do you know, my daughter started really taking after Electricity Cop. Um, when she's finished with an activity, well, she's got bored with an activity. She just announces, done. Oh, fantastic. Living the dream. Big lecky C energy. Big um, lecky C. Yeah, so don't forget to uh, listen to the uh, our, the other podcasts in our family, uh, which is the Ultimate Audio Bang, a podcast about shooters such as Spec Ops The Line. Indeed. Um. You can find us on uh, Twitter and Facebook, uh, Twitter at Rock Paper Shots. Are we not doing recommendations? Yeah, we are. I'm just doing this. this I'm just mixing it up. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, All right. And uh, uh, we got merch. Yeah. Don't know where you find that. Um, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've got a great Discord. Uh Yeah. Yep, the podcast has a channel on the uh, Rock Paper Shotgun Discord. It's a lovely place. Um, you can find us referenced in Apex Legends <laughs> and State of Decay 2. <laughs> um, oh, crikey, we're both advertising a site neither of us work for. Yeah, um, it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> the animals are taken over the zoo. Uh, and of course, don't forget to go to www.rockpapershotgun.com for all your PC I- gaming needs. I'm not sure if the animals did take over the zoo that they would promote the zoo. Surely they'd want to just get rid of the zoo. <laughs> well, no, because the zoo feeds them. They should have thought about that before they took over it. So they're going to say to everyone, please come to the zoo. There's a tiger trying to work the ticket office. Had <laughs> to watch. Just <laughs> yeah. please feed us. We're dying in here. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That sounds legit. <laughs> So what are you recommending this week? Oh, shit. I don't actually have one. Uh, uh. <laughs> this is the Hindenburg of podcasts. I should have just allowed us to end it without bringing this up. Um, and I've already blown my load <laughs> in about 14 minutes into the show. Uh, what can I recommend? I'm, I'm literally doing what you do every week. I'm looking around my room, and all I can see is empty Rennie packets. Uh, <laughs> this is where your one-note character is betrayed you at last. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, okay, I'm going to recommend Rennie, uh, if you've got indigestion or heartburn. <laughs> oh, and, uh, yeah, Metro 2033, if uh, <laughs> you're feeling cheerful and you want to stop that. Nice. Well, that, uh, that, I tell you what, considering Alice wasn't here, I think that was surprisingly on point. <laughs> yeah, we did, uh, we did manage to, to, to bring that in, uh, skating along the ice uh, and smashing into the barrier without chopping off anyone's fingers. Well done, us. Um, well, I guess we'll see everyone again this time next week for another one of these. And uh, hopefully Alice will be, uh, be back then. And, yeah, uh, that'd be nice. The zoo... The Tigers will be back in the prison. Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, thank you for listening to the Electronic Wireless Show. And uh, thank you for joining us, uh, Paul June. Uh, yes. Oh, I'm very worried. I've got to put my hand in a shoebox full of knives now. 
<laughs> awesome stuff. I've been Matthew Castle, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye for now. Bye.